0: Welcome to Word Online. Hello, and welcome to Series 4, episode number 8, The Rights and Wrongs of Swearing. And we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be reading shortly verses 33 to 37. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and those of you who've been following earlier episodes will be familiar with the way the Sermon on the Mount is developing. After an initial discussion of attitudes, Jesus explains what it means to fulfill the law of Moses. And then he goes on to give some extremely practical examples of his new ethical teaching. And he compares this with Old Testament teaching, sometimes deepening a law of the Old Testament And sometimes criticising the way people had misrepresented the Old Testament or created a saying of their own, like an Old Testament saying. We've looked at a number of different examples. The last two have been about sexual ethics, about adultery, lust, and then about marriage and divorce. It's pretty hard hitting stuff. And so immediately we become aware in the Sermon on the Mount that Christian discipleship is a very radical business. And so we must get away from the idea that becoming a Christian is merely just something for your own comfort, something to gain forgiveness and peace for your soul, so you can just carry on your life as before. No, Christianity is a complete revolution. We're called upon to live a Christ-like life, to follow Christ follow his teachings, be very distinct in many ways from the community around us and to draw people to faith in Christ by the radical nature of our lifestyle as well as the message that we proclaim to people around. So we've looked at sexual ethics and marriage and divorce as a key example, but now we turn to something very different but incredibly important. That is how we communicate with people and what methods of communication we use and particularly how we use language of emphasis to underline truthfulness and truth claims and we're going to look at the question of taking oaths swearing by something now we in the english language we use the word swearing to mean offensive language more generally i'm using the word swearing in a more specific sense to be taking an oath or underlining your claim to truthfulness by reference to some outside authority whether it's god or whether it's something authoritative in your culture or whether it's something within you or your own resources but the theme indicates the great importance in christian discipleship of what we actually say and how we say it, and this comes up in many places in the New Testament, but for Christians what they say and how they speak is fundamental as a demonstration of their following of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to just read the section and then we're going to think about what was going on In Jewish culture in those days concerning taking of oaths, which was actually rather a big issue in Judaism and in their culture at the time. So let's read the passage, Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair turn white or black. All you need to say is simply, yes, or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's so easy to take an oath, for example, in God's name, to invoke God or Jesus or Christ in your language. It's commonplace in many Western societies. And there are many other things we can take an oath on. And of course, a good example here in their context was Jerusalem. To swear by Jerusalem is to swear by a really, really important national symbol and spiritual symbol, the capital city, the place where God dwelt, the place where people worshipped the place where God forgave sins, all sorts of symbols come to mind. So to swear by Jerusalem was something that Jews did in the time. And you can probably think of some similar examples in your own culture where people will take an oath relating to something, some symbol in their culture. Now, the interesting thing about this opening statement, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfil to the Lord the vows you've made. Well, That isn't an Old Testament quotation at all, it's a traditional saying supposedly summarising an Old Testament position. So it doesn't have any authority as far as Jesus is concerned. In the Sermon on the Mount sometimes he's dealing with a direct quotation from the Old Testament and sometimes he underlies it and gives it deeper meaning. Sometimes that quotation from the Old Testament has been misrepresented as we looked at in Deuteronomy 24 in the last episode. Sometimes it's just a traditional saying. Here's just a traditional saying which Jesus dismisses as without authority and not to be followed. But Jesus had in mind the Ten Commandments. Nine out of ten of the Ten Commandments are reinforced and applied to Christians in the New Testament the only one that doesn't carry forward is the Sabbath commandment the fourth commandment to take the Sabbath rest because that commandment was a particular expression of the covenant between God and Israel in the time of Moses so two of the commands that relate to this issue are worth just mentioning briefly the third commandment says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name, Exodus 20 verse 7. Then the ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour, Exodus 20 verse 16. So in the Ten Commandments there are Two commandments specifically that have a very powerful relationship with what we say. They're about what we say and how we communicate truthfully and honestly and appropriately. And we shouldn't be invoking the name of God to back up our statements by swearing an oath by him. Neither should we be lying to other people, giving false testimony to our neighbor. Let's just think for a moment about the Jewish cultural context so the taking of oaths had become commonplace and routine and regular they were normal parts of communication and the religious teachers didn't criticize this fundamentally what they did was they just decided with their different schools and different teachings which type of oath are you allowed to take which type of oath you're not allowed to take Here's a famous example that's quite amusing to think about. One rabbi at about this time taught that you're allowed to swear towards Jerusalem but not by Jerusalem. So you can be looking towards Jerusalem but you can't swear in the name of or by Jerusalem. He said that oath is not binding So you can see, that's just an example of many just rules and regulations about which oath you can use, which oath you're not allowed to use, and it became a habitual part of their culture. Now, Jesus had something fairly strong to say about this in Matthew 23, verses 16 to 22, when he's criticising the Pharisees, some of the senior religious teachers, who had a lot to say about, oh, you can take this oath, but you can't take that oath. And so Jesus speaks against this very clearly. I'm just going to read this passage because it gives some really good context to what Jesus is saying and will help us move towards the application and try and understand what all this means for us. Verse 16 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, blind guides, referring to the Pharisees. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So Jesus is really pointing out the absurdity of the regulations about you're allowed to take this oath. Uh, you're not allowed to take that oath. If you take that oath, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to follow through. If you take this oath, you really do have to follow through because of what you have sworn by. Now, this may sound all very technical and historical, but it's the context in which Jesus speaks. And what he does is he cuts through all that and he gives a completely new way of thinking about how we communicate with other people In terms of accurate information and truthfulness and integrity. So let's now interpret Jesus' words more specifically. He is absolutely clear. Do not swear an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So... Swearing by something is banned for Christians. This type of oath taking has a tendency towards exaggeration, has a tendency towards deception, has a tendency towards dishonest communication. It's oaths can be something behind which people hide things that aren't true. And it distorts the words that you are saying which should have a plain meaning. So Jesus tells his followers not to take any oaths, not to bring in the name of God, to back up the truthfulness of something they're saying or promising. And he says, particularly, don't swear by anything spiritual like God or the Bible, or by anything which is part of your life, like your money or your home or your reputation or your family. His remedy for all this is speaking truthfully, honestly and simply in everyday conversation. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Now, we all live in a world where there is a huge amount of deception. People lie all the time for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's only small things sometimes it's big things it really matters in business communication it really matters when you go to the market it really matters when you're dealing with your banking or your finances it really matters when you're putting your trust in family friends or relatives that what they say is true it really matters if you entrust your property to someone else and they say I promise that I will look after it for you and so We live in a world where language is corrupted because human beings are corrupted. Promises are made, exaggerated statements are made, sometimes in order to deceive people into trusting others and handing things over to them. I'm sure you're very familiar with this in your life and in your context. Trusting other people is a difficult business. They have to earn your trust and swearing oaths is like a shortcut to gaining other people's And Jesus basically says, don't take the shortcut. Christians and disciples live honestly, straightforwardly, and they say yes or no. They promise to do things in simple words and they do their very best to fulfill the things that they promised. They do their very best to show themselves as living with full integrity. So this is really quite a challenging topic, and one that's not widely taught on in church in a very specific way. Jesus knows full well that abolishing using oaths and swearing isn't gonna solve the problem of truthful communication, but it's certainly going to be a step in the right direction. It's basically breaking a a pattern of miscommunication that people use in order to either deceive or persuade people of things that may or may not be true. So I now want to just make some reflections on this topic. We all know what it is to be deceived. We all know what it is for someone to promise a lot and deliver a little. Some of us know the bitter painfulness of that in personal relationships, when people promise to be faithful to you and they're not. Marriage partners, business partners, family members, people can let us down, even church members. It can be a bitterly painful process. So I now want to make some broader reflections on this topic To show how it fits into Christian discipleship and why it's a topic that we can't skirt round and treat as of secondary importance. First of all, in my reflections, I want to go back to Exodus 20 verse 7, which we quoted earlier on. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, you can misuse the name of God in all sorts of different ways. But one of them is to swear in his name, to invoke the name of God, Jesus, Christ, or any other name for God that you have in your conversation to back up a truth claim or a promise or a statement that you are making. This is a misuse of the name of God. He doesn't need to be attached to our truth claims. We need to be attached to his truth claims. He is the true one. He is the person who has no shadow of insincerity or deception or lying within him. He's completely truthful and we want to be like him. Another point of reflection that's often considered and discussed amongst Christians is where does this leave the question of the legal systems in many countries where taking of oaths is part of the process of contributing to the legal process in trial courts, and particularly in giving testimony, either for yourself or on behalf of someone else, or as a witness of the state. And many of us, including myself, have been in the situation where we've been called to go in and give a witness statement. And then in many cultures, and in Western cultures, the example is very clear. When you're called to make a statement, you're usually called to take an oath, and usually you're offered literally this book, the Bible, Or sometimes some other equivalent. Now in other cultures it might be a different religious book or a different symbol. But it's a formal oath taking of the legal process. This is not specifically discussed by Jesus in this circumstance. He's talking about everyday conversation in the public environment. What would he say about a Christian disciple who's called upon to give evidence in a court and who's asked... To take an oath? Well, we can't be certain of that answer. Some Christians have assumed from this text that oaths in the court situation were banned by Jesus. But I just am not so sure about that for this particular reason. Jesus himself, when he was being tried by the high priest and the Sanhedrin at the end of his life, was asked to make a statement and to give testimony under oath. This is stated in Matthew 26, verse 63 onwards. Let me just read a couple of verses here. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied, But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In a legal context, Jesus doesn't contest the taking of oaths. Christians have two different opinions about whether there's a distinction between the legal process and common conversation and life. My own view is that probably... There is a distinction as implied by Jesus's response to the high priest. And the focus of the statement here is common communication with people in all the different social environments in public, the informal and the formal social environments that you are in. You must make your own judgment about that particular point. However, whatever you think about that, Christian discipleship, should be characterised by simple truthfulness. Learning to be honest takes time. And it's very interesting sometimes to analyse one's conversation and think, how honest was I there? How honest was I there? And you can find in your own ordinary conversation just subtle half-truths come in very, very easily. And so there is a great discipline for Christians to always try consciously to tell the truth. And if there's something you don't wanna talk about because the truth is something you don't wanna share in that context for some reason that may be related to you, may be helpful for some people within that context, of course you have the alternative of not discussing certain things. But simplicity and truthfulness remain vital Christian values. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your words and your deeds match up together. For example, let's give just a common example that often confuses people. One of the things that we talk a lot to each other about in our ordinary social relationships is time. When are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? Which day are we going to do this or that? When am I going to meet you? Where am I going to meet you? What's the time going to be for that meeting? Now, different cultures have different views of times and uh, what timekeeping means. I don't particularly want to go into that now. I live in a Western culture in the UK where the culture basically is, if you say you're going to meet someone at 10 o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the afternoon, you basically mean you're going to be there at around that time, as near that time as you can imagine. And if you're very late, you owe them an apology. Now, if somebody in that culture consistently promises they're going to be there at 11 o'clock or 5 o'clock or whatever, but they're always late, they get a reputation. Some of my friends have a reputation that they're never there when they say they're going to be there. And sometimes they might fall back into the habit of swearing by something, taking an oath in order to try and persuade people that they're telling the truth. But you see, Jesus says that's the opposite thing we should do. That's reinforcing a lack of integrity in communication. A better strategy is to say what you mean and to mean what you say, and to be as absolutely straightforward as you can about all the different forms of communication that you have, bearing in mind that you do have the right not to talk about certain things at certain times, because sometimes that's not helpful, that's not at all in conflict with what Jesus is saying here. He's asking for simplicity and truthfulness. Jesus abolishes the taking of oaths and swearing in common communication for all Christian disciples. So there's quite a lot of learning to be done from this passage. And in fact, in some of our cultures in the world, deception and telling things that aren't true is actually honoured as an important part of communication when you're dealing with outsiders or different groups. So we do need to think about that as well, because that culture needs to be overturned if we're going to be effective Christian disciples. So thank you for listening to this episode, episode number Eight of series four and I hope you'll join us again for further episodes in series four on the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more visit wordonline.org.